You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. We're uh, in the book of Philippians. We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 12 through 18 this morning. Continuing to uh, study through Paul's letter to this church there in Philippi that he had planted 11 years previously. And now he's in a Roman uh, jail. Actually, he's in his own rented house, Acts tells us. But he's under house arrest. And 24 hours a day, Paul is under the authority and under the uh, jurisdiction of Roman soldiers. And, and he's imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And, and you can read about how he ended up in Rome in the book of Acts. And Paul's heart was always to bring the gospel to Rome. If you read the, the book of Romans, a few times in that book, Paul just really reveals that his heart was to get there because when he wrote the book of Romans, he had not been to Rome yet. And, and a few times there he says, man, I really want to get to Rome and I want to share Jesus with you guys and I want to plant a church there. And, and you could see why, because Rome was the center of everything in, in the world at that time. And Paul thought, man, if I can just get to Rome, we'll have such influence over the rest of the world for the gospel. And he did get to Rome, but it wasn't the way he thought he would. It was under arrest. It was a shipwreck that took him to get there as he was on a boat headed for Rome. And they, they had a shipwreck and he ended up on the Isle of Malta. And, and, and all of the things that happened to get him to Rome, I don't think were quite the way he thought that it would happen. And here he is now in Rome and really not able to, to do what he anticipated doing. And really this text that's before us this morning is, is all about that. It's all about suffering. And we think about suffering and it's, it's not something that, that we really like to talk about. Some Christians, in fact, think that, that we're immune to suffering. And maybe you've heard that, that... You know, if you come to Christ, I mean, everything is just going to get better. Your, your life is, is just going to be awesome. And, and nothing will ever happen to you that is remotely difficult or, or hard. And trials will be a thing of the past. And, and sometimes evangelists and people that are sharing the gospel will almost use that as like a hook to get people to come to Christ. And then they come to Christ and, and you find out that that's nothing but a pile of lies. In fact, things might get more difficult. And, and even a cursory reading of the New Testament tells us that suffering is a part of the Christian experience. Even a basic understanding of church history would tell you that Christians have suffered from the very beginning of the church. And Jesus told us in John 16:33, which is one of my favorite verses, Jesus said, "In this world, you will have tribulation. Not you might or, or not that you could, but you will. It's not an if, it's a win. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world." It's a great verse. And that's what Paul is talking to us about this morning is suffering, trials, tribulation. And maybe you, you sit there this morning and, and you think, you know, 
This young guy, what is he really going to tell me about suffering? I mean, you don't even know what I've gone through. And maybe you don't think that, that I have a lot of credibility to talk about suffering. And that's cool. And that's okay. And I probably don't. But the Apostle Paul certainly did. And the Apostle Paul, writing his second letter to the church of Corinth in chapter 11, he talks about all the things that he had experienced. And it really would blow you away if you took the time to read 2 Corinthians 11 and and Paul just lays out all of the things that he had gone through. Shipwrecks and beatings. Three times he says he was whipped. The scourging process that Jesus went through. Three times Paul experienced that. Having his back laid open. Being starved to death. Going nights without sleep. Being abandoned by all of his friends. More than likely, his family too. Paul was previously a part of the Sanhedrin, which would have required him to be married, but we don't read about Paul having a wife. In fact, he tells the Corinthians that he was not married. And so, apparently his wife had left him because of Jesus. And and all of these things that Paul experienced, all of the suffering that he experienced, gives him credibility as he talks about suffering to us. If anybody could talk about suffering and how to deal with it, it was Paul. And when we think about suffering in the year 2007, I think it's a little bit different than how they might have interpreted suffering or how some of the believers in our history would interpret suffering. If you read books like Fox's Book of Martyrs and you read of all the people that have been burned and tortured for the cause of Christ. And yet while they're burning, as their flesh is melting off of their bones, they are singing praises to God. You think of the Apostle John who was boiled alive in oil. Think about that. Being placed in a cauldron of boiling oil. And he lived through it. It We don't know historically if he was like under a lot of pain, but we know he lived through it. And then because... The Caesar at that time, Domitian, didn't want John's testimony to be spread throughout the world. Because think about that. Somebody being boiled in oil and living through it, that kind of you know gets people talking. And so because Domitian didn't want anybody talking about John, he banished him to the Isle of Patmos. And it was there on Patmos that John penned the book of Revelation. And you guys, it is in our trials our sufferings, our difficulties, that God reveals Himself to us in powerful ways. Had John given up on life and just said, you know what, it's over for me, look at me. They tried to boil me in oil, but God, I guess, wanted to keep torturing me because now here I am out on this stupid island, going to starve to death. And yet God had great plans for John and God had great plans for for Paul, and God has great plans for you and me in our suffering. As Paul is sitting there chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, he could have very easily thought to himself, you know what? My ministry's over. My life is over. The things I wanted to do, and, and God, they were for you. It wasn't like they were selfish things. God, they were for you. I wanted to, to do your work, and now I can't even do that. He could have given up, but he didn't give up. In fact, Paul understood, he had the perspective that in his sufferings, in his trials, in his difficulties, 
God's work was actually able to be advanced in his life. That it would actually be even more effective through his suffering. You think about that. That the things that God wants to do in you and through you are actually advanced and more effective because of your sufferings. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, and you've got to think of all of the things that happened to Paul. That's, that's a lot packed into that phrase, the things. The things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, when we think about suffering, we think about somebody running into our new car with a cart at the grocery store, or we think about you know our backache, or, or we think about the relational difficulties, or, or some of the financial troubles we're having. And, and I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to minimize our suffering, because many of us have gone through legitimate sufferings. But even the things we've gone through pale in comparison to what Paul went through. And he says, look, the things that I've experienced that have happened to me have actually, and I love that term, have actually. It's almost as if Paul was as surprised as the Philippians. Because you remember the Philippians... They were keeping track of what was going on with Paul. Paul was their pastor. Paul was their hero. He had discipled them. He had led them to the Lord. He had planted that church there in Philippi. And now their beloved Paul was in prison. And they were thinking, Lord, how are you going to advance the gospel with Paul in prison? And they were worried about him. And they had sent Epaphroditus to him to find out what was going on. And and that's how they got this letter. And here they're worrying about it, and Paul wanted them to to be at peace. He wanted them to understand, look, actually, God's work in me and through me is being advanced because of my suffering. It's actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now you think about the most important things that Paul did in his life. And I'm sure at this juncture... And Paul's walk with the Lord, he had thought the, the most influential things that he would do, the most powerful things that he would do, would be to plant churches. I mean, he had planted all of these churches, and certainly that was the most important thing he would ever do. And maybe we even think that was the most important thing that Paul did. But do you know that most of those, if not all of those churches, don't exist today? Do you know the city of Philippi is in ruins This city doesn't even exist. And so, was planting churches the most important thing that Paul did? Absolutely not. The most important thing Paul ever did was write these letters that we're reading today. And the reason that he was motivated to write these letters is because of his imprisonment. And so the very thing that Paul thought would bring an end to his ministry actually served to further his ministry. And you guys, in your suffering right now, and I don't know what it is, it it could be that, that you have a learning disability, it could be that you were abused as a child, it could be that you're going through financial difficulties, it could be that your marriage is is really struggling. It could be that your boss hates your guts and and makes your life miserable every day. There's a, a myriad of things that could be labeled suffering for you right now. And I don't know what it is. For you, But for Paul, it was being chained to a Roman 
guard 24 hours a day when all he wanted to do was get out and preach the gospel? What are your chains right now? Is it physical difficulties? You fill in the blank. But whatever that thing is, if you have the right perspective, you'll begin to see that that thing has actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel in you and through you. And he goes on to say that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Now the palace guard was the praetorian guard. This was the best of the best. These were 9,000 soldiers who were highly trained, who were the green berets, the special forces of that time. And here Paul was chained to each one of them, to several of them, throughout his time of house arrest. Here Paul was able to minister to men that he would never have an opportunity to minister to had it not been for this trial, for this imprisonment. Do you think that these praetorian guards would have given Paul the time of day if he had just come strolling into Rome? They would have been like, who are you? Wouldn't have listened to him. But now he was given a platform. He was given an opportunity. And in fact, it tells us that these men were listening to him because it became evident to them that his chains were in Christ. And in fact, at the close of this letter, Paul says to greet the household of Caesar which tells us that Paul was even having an influence on the family and the inner circle of Caesar himself. Do you think Paul would have had that opportunity had he just strolled into town, Jewish guy, preaching the gospel of Jesus? I don't think they would have listened to him at all. And sometimes we have to remember that God knows what He's doing. That we don't. And when we're having roadblocks and we're having trials and struggles and we think lord what are you doing you're ruining everything and and god's saying no i'm furthering everything i'm allowing it to happen you don't see it right now just like paul wouldn't know that the letters that he penned as he's chained to that guard as he's dictating it to that person who would then bring it to these churches do you think that paul had in his mind that 2,000 years later we'd be studying these letters, that he was actually dictating the very Word of God? Of course not. That wasn't the perspective he had. But because he trusted the Lord, he was able to be used. He didn't have it all figured out, but he knew that God did, and he just trusted Him. And God worked it out for His glory. He worked it out so that Paul was able to lead these men, these influential men, to Christ. And God wants to, to use our suffering to impact people for Jesus. If you allow Him to use your suffering, He will take it to lead people to Jesus. It might be the thing that gives you an opportunity to share with somebody. It might be the thing that gives you credibility in that person's mind. You just don't know. When I was in high school, uh, I came to Christ uh, as a freshman. And, you know, I was on fire for the Lord and I was just preaching to anybody that would, that, that would listen and even people that didn't. If it was teachers, if it was students, if it was the janitor, it didn't matter. I was sharing Jesus with everybody. And, and I think I became sort of a nuisance to a lot of people, especially uh, teachers, you know, because they can 
dictate to teachers what they can say. But they can't tell students what they can or can't say. So I took speech class my senior year. And I mean, I, I gave probably 20 speeches that year. And they were like sermons. You know, it started with, who's your best friend? And so I just talked about Jesus. And it was like a one-minute speech. And then it built up to where you finally gave your, your end-of-the-year speech. And it was like 20 minutes and everything was about Jesus. And my teacher was growing really tired of it. But there really wasn't much she could do. It was like, here's my platform. I took debate. And, and we had to debate a poem. We had, we had to read a poem and then we had to talk about it. And we had to debate about it. And so I did Psalm 51. And what is the teacher going to say? It's, it's, it's a poem. It's literature. And, and God was able to use me in that. But I think in all of my preaching and all of my sharing of the gospel, it really became powerful when between my junior and senior year, uh, I was working with my dad and uh, I got into an accident with, uh, you know, with the job that we were doing and a piece of metal uh, shot into my eye and it, it uh, you know, blinded me for life. And I went through several surgeries, none of which worked. And, of course, everybody uh, knew about it, and uh, my eye was all messed up. It still kind of is. Sometimes it'll get red, and, and it's my original eye, but it doesn't work. And so I went that whole senior year um, just going through that trial and people watching me and how I dealt with it. And I remember several of my friends signing my yearbook just saying, you know, it was that thing that really showed me that God was doing something in your life. It, it was that thing that, that really showed me that, that Jesus has to be true uh, because I saw the way that you dealt with that. And so all of the preaching really didn't make an impact until they saw me suffer and how I handled it. And, and you guys, we never know how God's going to use things. And it might be that thing that you're going through right now that you think is the end of everything, which in fact will be the thing that God uses to advance his work in your life. Several years later, when I was in Bible college, I was sitting in a, a church service, Calvary Chapel of Lake Arrowhead, and I was sitting right on the, the aisle of, of the church, just you know, kind of like right in this seat right here, right toward the front, and I was with a friend. And I leaned over to my friend. I said, man, i got to get out of here. I'm, like, going to pass out. And he just kind of looked at me like, yeah, whatever. And the, the pastor, uh, Tim Hamilton, was, was teaching. I got up, and the next thing I know, I'm being drug outside. I, I collapsed just right in the middle of the church. Of course, the pastor didn't know how to handle that. You know, it's like, what do you do with this young guy who's collapsed in your church right in the middle of your message? They dragged me outside. Whole church is praying for me. There's EMTs in the church. They they come out there, and you know I come to, and they said, hey, you know we need to take you to the hospital. No, I don't have insurance, and so just um, I'm okay. I'm fine. So I started to get up again. I passed out again. And I came to, and they said, look, we're going to take you to the hospital. I said, no, I'll drive myself there. <laughs> and they said, no, I don't think so. And I said, well, let my friend take me. Go get him and. And, and he, because my parents will flip if we, if we get an ambulance bill. 
And they said, I, I think your parents will be fine. You know, you, you'll, be, you'll be much better off this way. And I was like, no, no. And I got, started to get up again, and I collapsed again. And it was like, what on earth is going on? I'm 18 years old, you know. And ambulance comes. They take me to the hospital, this little tiny hospital in Lake Arrowhead. It's got like two beds in the emergency room. It's more like a first aid clinic. And I'm there, and they hook me up with all of this stuff. And I've got, they've got me on monitors, and I'm there for hours. And my friend's out in the lobby. He's, he's preaching to these Jehovah's Witnesses out there. I can hear him through the door, you know. And, and I'm there, and it's like, Lord, what on earth is going on? Because I feel fine now. And all of a sudden, they wheel in this guy. And his, his face is just totally messed up. And I asked the nurse, I said, hey, what's going on with this guy? She said, well, he was shooting his gun and, and a, a bullet lodged in the chamber and the gun exploded and a piece of metal went in his eye and, and he's just, he's hurting. So I said, you know, I said, it was kind of difficult for the Lord to get me here. I said, but I think I know why I'm supposed to be here. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I lost my eye when I was 17, and, you know, I, I think the Lord wants me to share with this guy. And they said, well, look, son, you know, you, you can't just get up and, you know, you're, you're under monitors and, you know, you, you need to be here for a little while longer. And I said, well, I really think this is why I'm here. It doesn't make any sense otherwise. Nurse walks off, so I just start taking all the patches off. Put my shirt on, got dressed. Nurse comes in, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, you know what, I'm fine. Seriously, this is why I'm supposed to be here. And I said, I, I need to share with this guy. She's like, whatever. <laughs> so I start to share with this guy, and he was in an incredible amount of pain. And I knew, to a certain extent, the kind of pain that he was in. And I shared with him, I shared the gospel with him, prayed with him, and never saw him again. But I know that God had me there for a purpose. And maybe it took me losing my eye passing out in church, drugged there in an ambulance for me to share with this particular guy. Would have never had the opportunity to do it otherwise. And so you guys, in our suffering, in our difficulties, we don't know what God has in store for us. We don't know the people that we're going to impact. And clearly Paul never thought that he would impact the Praetorian Guard. And here he was, sharing with them on a daily basis here they were talking about the conversations that they were having with Paul. Hey, are you getting set up with Paul today? I want to get hooked up with Paul. We were just talking about this and he was showing me Jesus in the book of Genesis. And man, you got to hear this stuff. And Paul was having an impact on people's lives that he never would have thought that he could. He was having an impact on these churches by writing letters to them in ways that he never thought he could. He had an impact on us in ways that he would have never understood. But he just trusted the Lord. And not only, you guys, was he able to bring people to Jesus with his suffering, but he was also to, able to strengthen the believers. Look what he says in verse 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so here were these believers in all these churches who were timid, who were afraid to share the gospel. And that's pretty common. And, and they were like, you know what? 
Paul's the man. I mean, we'll let Paul do that kind of stuff. We'll just sit back and we'll listen and, and we'll just, you know, watch him do his stuff. I mean, he's amazing. Have you ever seen Paul? He either creates a revival or a riot wherever he goes. I mean, this guy is amazing. And they were just kind of sitting back. But now Paul's in prison. And so now it's like we either do it or nobody's going to do it. And as they watched Paul and they heard about how Paul was handling his suffering, they thought, you know what? We can do this. And it emboldened them. It motivated them. It strengthened the believers to do what God was calling them to do. And your suffering, you guys, may just be the thing that motivates somebody else to do what God's calling them to do, that gives them boldness, that encourages them. And I think of Naomi in the book of Ruth. Naomi moved her family, her and her husband and their two sons, they moved to Moab. But then as they're there in Moab, her sons die, her husband dies, and it's her and her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. Not Oprah, but Orpah. And Naomi said, you know what, girls, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Naomi means beautiful and pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because God has dealt bitterly with me. Obviously, God is disappointed in me. Obviously, God is judging me. And He's done with me. And so why don't you girls just stay here in Moab, and I'm going to go back to Israel, and I'm going to just you know live the rest of my life in isolation and just misery. And Orpah ended up staying there in Moab, but Ruth went with her. And you know the story. Ruth ultimately married Boaz, and they had a son named Jesse, who then had a son named David. And of course, David was the line of Christ, and, and, and all of that transpired. Because Naomi, even though she was discouraged and disappointed, she never gave up on God. And really, Ruth had a lot to do with that. And, and through Ruth and, and through a series of events, God used Naomi in a powerful way that she would have never thought possible in her trials and in her difficulties. She was able to, to strengthen Ruth. As Ruth looked at Naomi and, and all of the struggles and all of the suffering that she had experienced, and it strengthened Ruth. And Ruth said, your people will become my people and your God will become my God. You guys, God wants to use your suffering to strengthen other people, to embolden them, to empower them to be who God has created them to be. And so in your suffering, know that God has a purpose and a plan. You will not be the only one whose life, Romans 8.28, proves to be a lie. Everybody thinks, you know, well, how is Romans 8.28 going to, to be fulfilled in my life that God's going to work everything out for His good? I must be the only person that's going to disprove that verse. It, it can't happen in my life. I mean, look at what's going on. This is just a joke. How could God turn this for good? And He will. He will turn it for His good if you allow Him to. He'll work it in amazing ways in your life. He'll use it to bring people to Christ. He'll use it to strengthen the believers. And you guys, in your suffering, in your difficulties, you need to understand that God is sovereign. 
that God is sovereign. What does that mean? It means that God's in control of everything. That He's all-powerful, that He's all-knowing, that He's everywhere at the same time. That there's nothing that happens that God isn't aware of and that He's not in control of. Everything happens under God's watch. And as believers, as people who have committed our lives to Jesus Christ, you've got to picture your life as kind of like a conveyor belt. And here are these things that are coming, and God sees them way ahead of time. And He says, you know what? Go ahead and allow that. Go ahead and allow Ryan to get in that accident, to lose his eye, to have surgeries that worked for other people that didn't work for him. Go ahead and allow that to happen. That'll be good for him. Go ahead and allow that to happen in her life. Go ahead and allow that financial struggle. Go ahead and allow that relational difficulty. Go ahead and allow that physical ailment. And God allows it. And everything is filtered through His love. Certainly His sovereignty, but also His love. So on the one hand, we recognize that God is completely sovereign. But on the other hand, we recognize that God is completely loving. Because some people may be able to come to the conclusion that God is sovereign. Yes, He allowed it. But if He allowed it, then He must not be loving. And other people say, well, no, He's loving, but He's not sovereign. And it's like we go to one extreme or the other. But both are true. We, we can't figure it out. We won't be able to reconcile it in our minds. But we just have to recognize that He is completely sovereign. That He allowed that thing to happen in your life. That it wasn't like he said, you know what, I would have really liked to stop that, but I was unable to. No, he allowed it, but it was filtered through his love. Well, how do we know he's loving? Well, because a few thousand years ago, he stepped out of heaven. He took on human flesh. He lived a life of obscurity. He was born in a barn, into an impoverished family. He lived a normal life, a carpenter, the God of the universe, held down a normal job. And then at the age of 30, he stepped into public ministry. And I mean, man, you can just really see why he ticked people off because he healed people, he fed people, he blessed people, he taught people, he ministered to people, he cast demons out of people, he healed a woman whose life had been ravaged with a constant menstrual cycle, he healed her. Twelve years of dealing with that, he healed her. He cast demons out of, of people that had been dealing with, with that their entire lives. He healed lepers who, whose lives had been destroyed with that disease. You can see why they would have hated him so much. It makes a lot of sense, right? They hated him. The religious leaders hated him so much because of what he said about himself. And even his closest friends turned their back on him. Judas betrayed him, sold him for a few pieces of silver. They came... They arrested him. They interrogated him all night in an illegal trial. They put a bag over his head and they pummeled him with their fists. They spit on him. They mocked him. They put a crown of thorns on his head and hammered it into his skull. They tore his robes off of him and whipped him like a dog until his back was laid open, until you could have seen his vertebrae, his backbone, Then they told him to carry his cross through the streets. And Jesus, as strong and powerful as he was, was not even able to do that. And they had to compel Simon the Cyrene to carry the 
horizontal portion of the cross through the streets. They drugged Jesus like a criminal. They hung Him on a cross. And then God poured out His wrath upon Jesus. And Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As God poured out His wrath, as Jesus became sin for us. I don't think we need to question His love. He did all of that for you and for me. And so when we look at His sovereignty, we also know that He loves us. And He demonstrated His love. He didn't just shout it from heaven. He didn't write it down in a book solely. He said, I love you and I'm going to demonstrate my love to you. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so all of the suffering that we're going through, you guys, we filter it through His sovereignty and through His love. And a few decades ago, a Jewish rabbi wrote a book called Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. It's a best-selling book. Oh man, this is going to give me answers for why these things happen to me. But the very premise of the book is screwed up. Because there are no good people. The Bible makes that really clear. And so the the thought of why bad things happen to good people is totally wrong. A better title would be, Why Good Things Happen to Bad People. Why are we blessed at all? But even if you take this rabbi's premise, you see the deficiency of it. His premise was that God is loving. And because God loves you so much, he, He just stands by and he sheds tears when things happen to you and he wishes that they didn't happen, but he's not powerful enough to stop them. And so God is relegated to a father who has to watch his child go through difficulty. Like a child who watches their son or daughter be born with with some physical handicap. Or watch their daughter go through a terrible marriage. Or watch their son have to be treated like dirt at his job. No parent wants to do that, right? But you stand by and, and, and you hope that your kids can, can deal with these things and you support them as much as you can, but you're powerless to do anything. And that's how this Jewish rabbi made God out to be. Like a powerless mother or father. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible created you and I from nothing. With the word of his mouth, he created everything that we see. The God of the Bible, Colossians tells us, holds everything together. You know that atomic glue that scientists can't figure out? There's this this thing that their theories just don't give them answers to. And that is, how do like molecules and like atoms, positive and positive, how do they not repel each other and blow everything up? It doesn't make sense. Evolution doesn't give you answers to that. And the atomic glue, Colossians tells us, is Jesus. He's holding it all together. And He's holding your life together, even when it seems like everything is blowing up around you. He's in control. He's sovereign and He's loving. And if you guys and if I can get that theology straight in our mind, it will allow us to have the perspective that Paul had as he went through this suffering and as he was able to say, you know what? All of these things have actually turned out for the furtherance of the Gospel. Maybe right now you can't say that. And maybe you need to allow God to work these truths into your life. Otherwise... You'll ruin your testimony. 
Otherwise, you'll ruin your relationships because you're so miserable and so bitter and so down on life. God's either in control or He's not. God either loves you or He doesn't. You've got to establish those principles in your life and in your mind. And Paul's suffering not only came at the hands of his chains, but it also came from the people that were supposed to be his friends. And that might be the worst kind of suffering. People that are supposed to be your friends, your family, your fellow church members, people that are supposed to support you and help you, and oftentimes they are the ones that hurt us the most. And here were these people in Paul's life that you would think would be supporting him in his time of need, but in fact are rejoicing in his suffering because it was their opportunity to make a name for themselves. It's amazing. Listen to what Paul says in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Now something we need to understand. Paul is not rejoicing over false doctrine being preached. Sometimes that is purported that, hey, you know what, no matter what people say, I mean, it can be twisted and, and all messed up. As long as people are talking about Jesus, then I'm cool with that and I'm rejoicing. That's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying is that no matter the motive, if Jesus and the true gospel is being preached, I'm cool with that. Because there were actually people who were seizing upon Paul's suffering and saying, look, I've been wanting to make a name for myself. I mean, I'm really a good evangelist, but Paul, I mean, he's been holding me back. And now that he's tucked away there, I can now make a name for myself. I can now be Billy Graham. And and people were actually rejoicing in Paul's suffering. And you know, that would be a little hard to swallow. That would be a little hard to find joy in. And yet Paul found joy in it. He said, you know what? I don't care. I, I don't have any competition And I don't know that there's anything worse than competition in the body of Christ. The pride that wells up that says, you know what, I want to have that position. Why do they get to have that? Why do they get to do this? You know how many churches have been split over people vying for position in the church? Why is he an elder and I'm not? Why why does she get to lead that ministry and I don't? Why does Ryan have him teach in in his place? He never asks me. You know how many people's lives have been ruined over that kind of competitive spirit? You know how many church, churches' influence in a community have been ruined because the pastors are competing against one another? I've heard pastors say, yeah, well, my church isn't growing, but you know, it's a good thing because nobody else's is either. As if it's just really great that nobody in town is influencing anyone. It's like, I'll rejoice as long as nobody's trumping what I'm doing. And you know, I have the same difficulties. People come to this church and then I hear that they ended up over at another church. And I kind of think, well, 
I mean, is that guy a better teacher than me? I don't think so. Is that church better than our church? Why would they end up there? What in the world's going on? Are they stupid? And that's the kind of things that go through my mind. That's the kind of temptations that I have. And the Lord just, you know, hammers me on that. We all have that ability and that propensity to to be competitive, to be prideful, to want what other people have, to be envious of others' position. And Paul said, I'm not going to have any part of that. They can all jockey for what they want. They can all throw a party because I'm in prison and that gives them an opportunity to shine. Hey, whatever. As long as Jesus is being preached, I'm cool with it. You guys, that's the attitude we need to have. Whether we are the ones that are given credit, whether people know who we are, whether we're the one in the spotlight, as long as Jesus is the one that people are ultimately coming to. We rejoice in that. And Paul even rejoiced despite all of the friends that were stabbing him in the back. Guys, that's what Philippians is all about. Finding joy in the midst of your difficulties. Because look, you are not immune to suffering. It is going to happen. We live in a fallen world. We live in a sin-laden world. And suffering is part of it. It's part of the package. It's not if, it's when. And when it comes into your life, how are you going to deal with it? Are you going to say, you know what? God must be through with me. He must be mad at me. He must want to just limit His work in me and through me. We need to have the perspective of Paul who said in 2 Timothy 2.9, I suffer unto chains, but the Word of God is not chained. You guys, we all have various chains in our life. Various things that we can look at one of two ways. That we can look at as the thing that is hindering God's work in us or the thing that's actually advancing God's work in us. It's all your perspective. It's all in your understanding of God. He wants to do incredible things through all of us. And it might be that suffering is the catalyst to make it happen. Let's stand and pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can read the book of Philippians, God, here in the year 2007, and it can make so much sense to us. Lord, that it can be so relevant. Lord, and I don't know what each person here is going through. Lord, some here are suffering in ways that, that I will never understand, that, I, that I've never gone through and never will. God, some, some here maybe haven't tasted a lot of suffering, Lord, but they're going to. And Lord, we don't wait around for it. We don't anticipate it like the sky is falling kind of mentality. Lord, we just live our life day to day and and we handle the things that come our way. Lord, I don't know what's going on, but you do. You know each person here. You know their life. You know their story. You know their background. You know what's going on. And God, right now I pray in, in each of our sufferings, in, in, in our chains, that, Lord, we would just offer them up to you, that, God, we would say, use it 
that we would say, give us your perspective on these things. That, Lord, we would understand that you're sovereign and that you're loving. That you allowed it, but that you allowed it for a purpose. God, give us the perspective of Paul. That we would see that the things that are happening to us are actually being used for you to advance your work in us and through us. God, give us your mind in these things. Or do your work in us. We, we offer our lives to you. Do with us as you please, Lord. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com. Or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.